And here we're living that out in large groups, moving through the book of Psalms. Um, and the Psalms are just their book of prayers and songs that the people of God have sung and prayed for thousands of years. Each week we've been seeing that the Psalms meet us where we are and that they take us where we need to go. And our psalm tonight is a song about shame. It meets us in our shame and our guilt over sin, and it leads us into the mercy and forgiveness of God that we so desperately need. So we're just going to read Psalm 51, pray, and then we'll just work through the passage. But I'll read Psalm 51, which says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. The bowls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray together. Good and gracious Heavenly Father, you are merciful to us in this passage. Lord, you meet us in our sin, in our shame, and you remind us of your character. You remind us that you are a merciful and forgiving God, that you desire uh, to take away our sins, and that you desire to create a new heart in us and to bring renewal and redemption in that forgiveness. So, Lord, as we think about confessing our sins and being forgiven, uh, would you meet us in the midst of this? I know that my sins are many. I pray that you would forgive them, that I would experience your forgiveness even in the preaching of your word. Lord, would you be with us when you move in our hearts to see you as greater, see that your mercy is greater than our sin and our shame. Lord, we love you and we pray all of this in your name. So I just want to start off a little bit of background. Does anyone know why David wrote this song? This call and response, asking a question. Does anybody know? Does anybody see in their Bible anything that gives a little hint as to what this is? Jonah. He just been convicted of sin. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this psalm is a confession. Uh, God inspired David to write this confession psalm because God wants to forgive us our sin and to take away our shame when we confess our sins to him. But even though that's true, so often we distance ourselves from God because, because our sin and our shame that we feel from it, we feel like we can't come to him. We try to clean ourselves up instead of coming to God to, perhaps, to have him clean us up with his mercy and so we're just going to walk through this passage, this confession psalm, and it's rooted in the biblical story uh, of David and his kingship. We're going to walk through that. We're going to look at our three main points. We're going to see first, our sin and shame. Second, we're going to see God's forgiveness. And then third, we're going to talk about our response to that forgiveness. So yeah, the heading of this psalm, if you look, uh, if you got your Bibles open, great. Um, it's before verse one, it says, to the choir master. A psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And so this is referring back to 2 Samuel 11 and 12, which is exactly what you're talking about, Joel. Um, where David, who is this the king of Israel, um, he sees, and this is the context, so he sees, he's up in his, uh, in his house on the kind of the top of the hill, and he looks down and he sees Bathsheba bathing after, uh, yeah, cleansing from her impurity. And she... Uh, She's beautiful. And David says to his messengers, go and bring her to me. And they do. And Bathsheba is brought back to him. And he has sex with her. And she gets pregnant. The thing is, she's married. She's married to this guy named Uriah. Uriah the Hittite. And he's off at war at this time. And so David brings him back, tries to convince him to sleep with Bathsheba so that he can say that, oh yeah, it's Uriah, essentially. And when Uriah won't, then David sends him back out to the, the battle with a note for the commander. Uh, and when the commander opens it up, it's, he sees that David wants him to send Uriah out to the front of the battle where the fighting is fiercest and then to have the other soldiers back away so that then Uriah would be killed in battle. So that happens. Uriah is dead. And then David takes Bathsheba as his wife. Then after their son is born, then Nathan the prophet comes and he confronts David. And he confronts him with a story that then the Lord uses to convict David, to show David his wrongdoing. And and David is then convicted of his sin. And this is what he says. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan replies, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. So this psalm, Psalm 51 is David's confession of his sin in that story. And he starts off his confession in the first two verses, crying out to God for his mercy. David knows that he doesn't have any way to justify what he has done. So instead of trying to justify, he pleads for God to be merciful based on God's steadfast love, based on God's abundant, merciful character. David isn't saying, God... I'll do this or that for you if you forgive me. Uh, Instead, he's saying, Lord, I can't do anything to make up for what I've done. I need you to do something instead. I need you to blot out my transgressions, to wash me and cleanse me from my sin. I don't know about you, but that is not my initial reaction when I'm convicted of the sin in my life. Instead of asking God to cleanse me, I so often try to clean myself up before I come to God. 
thing is, is that never it never works. It doesn't make anything better. In all actuality, it makes things worse because I run from God instead of running to him. And I end up missing out on the relationship with him because I think that he's going to turn away from me or that he's going to hold me at an arm's length until I come with some sort of sacrifice or peace offering or proof that I have done something to make it up to for him. But the thing is that all of that is so mixed up and confused. Um, the thing about God is that he hates sin, and while he hates sin, yet Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, so that we could have a relationship with God. He wants to take away our sin, not pile on shame for what we've done. So Nathan, he confronted David with what he had done. Uh, and in verse 3, David says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. David sees his sin. He can't get away from it. It likely fills his thoughts, and he feels it in his bones. He probably thinks about it every single time that he sees his wife, Bathsheba, or every single time that he sees Nathan. This, this verse, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me, that verse has been so true for me this week. My sin has been ever before me. The last May, I sinned really deeply against a number of friends. I used and misused a dear friend in order to hurt someone else. And I damaged and severed so many relationships with my actions. I felt so much guilt and shame back in May for, for weeks after that and months after that. My sin was ever before me. And I, I confessed my sin and I sought God in repentance and I, I also confessed to, to dear friends of mine. Uh, most of my closest friends had moved away after college, and so I called them and confessed to them and, and asked for them to pray for me. And when I did that, they pointed me to Jesus. But I, I separated myself from the, from the group of friends who was living here in Lincoln that included those people I had sinned against. So I separated myself from that friendship, those friend groups back in May. And it's been months since I've seen any of them. And then in preparing for the sermon, some of that shame got brought back up. And then especially so when I saw two of those people I had sinned against most on Sunday, and then again on Tuesday. So two times in three days, I was confronted with my sin and my shame. If you're here uh, and you don't believe in God or that he works in our lives, I, that's just not a coincidence. Like when that happens, mm, Jesus, you're doing something, and I don't love it, but it's going to be good for me. And so I just knew that that couldn't have been a coincidence. And both of those times, both of those instances on Sunday and on Tuesday, I was flooded again with my shame, just like it was back in May when those wounds were fresh. Both times I saw them from across a coffee shop, and my stomach shot into my throat. My heart started beating. My hands started shaking, and I, I just gathered my things and I left. I ran out because I couldn't, I couldn't deal with that in public. I needed to go back into my car and to drive home and pray and process those things. I was overcome again with my shame when I saw the people that I had hurt so badly. And so that, that verse was very, very prevalent in my mind in preparing for this sermon. And 
It's so much so because I saw the people that I hurt really badly. And all of that was true for me, and I imagine that it was something similar for David when he would see Bathsheba or when he would see the people he had sinned against. And then the next verse is probably the most peculiar in the psalm. Verse 4 says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. <clears throat> Are you kidding me, David? David abused his power as king to misuse a married woman and then had her husband killed. How can he say that it's only against God that David sinned? We often, we often think about sin as breaking a rule, but it's more than that. Sin is the betraying of a relationship. When we sin, we often betray relationships with other people, but sin is primarily us betraying our relationship with God. It's primarily an affront to God before it is anything against anyone else. So that's why David responded to Nathan in the story saying, I have sinned against the Lord. And that's why he says here that it's against the Lord only that he has sinned. That's why David goes to the Lord in confession here, because God alone has the authority to forgive sin since it's against him. I think that's our main application from this section. We need to see our sin for what it is. It's a personal betrayal of our relationship with God. And we need to confess it to him because he's the only one that can forgive. And we see that he is, he is a merciful and forgiving God. So if you trust Christ with your life, if you've embraced him from the heart, the sin has already been paid for on the cross. He's already paid for that sin through his death so that you could receive the forgiveness that God freely offers in Christ. Now, I, I, I had this kind of summed up for me when I called a dear friend back uh, in May. Some of you know Brian Holt. He's one of my, my dearest friends, and he said something that has continued to impact me since that phone call. He said, Jason, your sin is serious, and God hates it. But Jesus knew that you would sin in that exact way, and he still went to the cross. He still went to the cross and died for you so that you would be forgiven. You don't deserve that forgiveness, but that doesn't mean that it isn't true. Brian was right in saying that I didn't deserve that forgiveness, and yet the Lord still freely offers it. David didn't deserve forgiveness, and yet he goes on to describe what it's like to experience the forgiveness from the Lord. So in verses 7 through 12, David touches on any number of different ways, different aspects of how God works in his forgiveness of us. David says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Uh, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now while each one of these truths, these different aspects or facets of forgiveness is beautiful, and each one is worth mulling over for a long time, but I just want to zoom in, zoom in on verse 11 to talk about this particular aspect of God's forgiveness. And verse 11 says, Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. 
So again, just to, to go back and get a little context, a little bit further back in David's story. Uh, what, this is another question. What is the most famous story about David in the Bible? David and Goliath. Boom. Yeah, so that's the most famous story. And I think a lot of times we look at the story of David and Goliath and see that it's, uh, it is one of the most significant moments in David's life. And it's incredible. But I think it overshadows the chapter that comes right before it. So that's the, that's the moment that we're looking back to. In 1 Samuel 16, God sends Samuel the prophet to go and anoint David as the future king of Israel. And in that chapter, when he anoints him, which is just he pours oil on David's head uh, and declares him as uh, the, the future king, uh, when that happens, the, the passage says, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So from, from this moment in David's life, the spirit of the Lord is upon him. And that's, it's roughly equivalent to what happens when, when we embrace Jesus from the heart. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within our hearts. He lives, he takes up residence in our, in our hearts, and he doesn't leave us or forsake us. And so that's what David pleads to be true in forgiveness, in the forgiveness that he's asking for in this passage. He knows that his sin deserves separation from God because of the betrayal of that relationship, but David pleads that God wouldn't remove the Holy Spirit from him. David desperately doesn't want to be disconnected from God. Now, in, in Brene Brown's TED Talk about shame that exploded all over the internet, she describes shame as the fear of disconnection. The feeling that there is something about you that if, if other people knew or heard about, that you wouldn't be worthy of connection. And the thing is, is all of us are made in the image of a triune God. And that triune God just means that God is Father, Son, and Spirit existing in deep, intimate relationship for all eternity. And so we're hardwired for a relationship by being made in the image of that God. We're hardwired for deep connection with each other, but more than that, we deeply long for that deep connection with God, a relationship with him. So on one hand, we have this deep longing for connection, but because of our sin, on the other hand, we become so ashamed knowing that we don't deserve that connection that we crave so much. What do you do when you experience that shame? For me, I just, I numb out. Like, how can I not feel this? I turn to Netflix or video games or podcasts or Facebook compilation videos, and most of the time it's multiple of those things at once. Anything to fill the silence. Anything to quiet the voices in my head saying that I'm worthless. And that people would rather live their lives without me in it. Anything to take my attention away from my shame and fill the moments of quiet with any noise just to distract myself. The thing is, even in the midst of those moments where I'm distracting myself, I'm turning myself away, I'm, I'm not sitting in the quiet. Even in those moments, the Holy Spirit is there, dwelling in my heart. But he doesn't scream over the noise but rather he speaks with a still, small voice in the quiet. He waits for me 
to come to him in the silence and he whispered. Do you know what he whispered? Whispers, I love you. I know you. I know what you've done. I know what you're so deeply ashamed of, and I still love you. I know what you're so ashamed of, and my love is still strong. I love you, and I'm not going anywhere. Do you believe that God says that to you? Do you believe it when he says that? That's my hope for you, that you would believe that. That whether you're confessing your sins for the first time and turning and trusting Jesus for the first time in your life, or whether you're confessing and repenting for the thousandth time, I hope that you believe that nothing can separate you from the love of God. That neither death nor life, angels nor demons, the things present nor the things to come can separate you from the love of God. The things present or the things to come. That includes the sin that you're presently confessing and the sin that you're going to commit so often in the future. Those sins are forgiven in Christ. God washes them away. He hides his face from them. He cleanses you so that he sees those sins no more. That's how forgiveness works. And if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive them. So what should our response be to experiencing that forgiveness? David goes on to share in verses 13 through 15, which he says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. So David wants to teach transgressors God's ways. And you can only teach something if you know something. And here, David wants to teach other people about God's forgiving ways, about his merciful nature. He wants to teach those that have done wrong and feel so ashamed. David has this experiential knowledge of being forgiven and receiving mercy from the Lord. He knows that he deserves immense punishment and separation from God because of his sin. But instead of getting that, God gives David a clean heart and a renewed spirit and remain in relationship with him. So in response to God forgiving David his sin, and removing his guilt, David says matter-of-factly that his tongue will sing of God's righteousness and that his mouth will declare God's praise. Now David isn't bargaining with God, saying if you forgive me, then I'll do these things. What he is saying is that from experiencing the fullness of God's forgiveness, he won't be able to contain himself. He won't be able to stop himself from sharing what it's like with other people. He won't be able to help it. If his mouth opens, then it'll open up to tell people how great and merciful God is. Have you ever been so moved by something that you tell everyone you can about it? You find a way to direct the conversation to what you want to talk about, uh, or maybe you're less subtle than that. And you just like, if there's a, a little bit of silence, you just blurt it out. 
and you say, yep, this is what I want to talk about now. My, uh, my sister, in every conversation, my sister Claire, that we had for the, the better part of a year, every conversation we had, there'd be a point where, she, where Claire would bring up the Enneagram. Now, I don't know, if, you, if everyone, if you don't know what the Enneagram is, it's this personality assessment um, that talks about different strengths and weaknesses and motivations, and uh, you, each type gets a number assigned, and there's nine of them, so Claire's an eight. Claire's an eight, which means that she is not afraid of conflict, and it also means that, that it takes a while for her to feel safe to be vulnerable with someone else. So over, over that time where that was all Claire could talk about, she read multiple books, she listened to every podcast on the Enneagram that she could, and it helped her. It helped her learn like, how she's responding to things or how she relates with other people. And uh, she got her husband, Christopher, into it. And they, they learned about how they respond to each other in their marriage, and it helped so much. And so through that, Claire couldn't help but bring it up in other conversations. Now, we'd be on the phone or we'd be in person, and, and she'd say, because I'm an eight, I react in this way. Or Jason, since you're a three, which I am, uh, you're motivated in this way, and that's why that person super frustrates you, because they're not motivated in that same way. She's like, Jason, you need to think about how you're reacting in, uh, in the context of the Enneagram. And it wasn't just every conversation with me, but she, she bought my parents the Enneagram books for Christmas <laughs> as a present. And she, she did that so she could have conversations with them, and also so that they could experience some of the ways that it had helped Claire and Christopher's marriage. This is all that Claire wanted to talk about. And David is saying that he's going he's gonna to do something similar to that in response to God's forgiveness. That he's going to praise God for his mercy every time that he opens up his mouth. And David experienced this forgiveness while he was looking forward to an unknown Savior who would come and pay for the punishment that David deserved. But when we experience forgiveness, we do it looking back, knowing who that Savior is. We look back and we see Jesus. We see that our punishment, that our sin deserved. We see an innocent man who is God, who was killed on the cross to pay for our sins. So my question is, why don't, why don't we declare praise for God's mercy shown in Christ every time our mouth opens? It started off that way for me. When I came to faith, when I became a Christian and trusted Christ for the first time, it was at the end of my senior year of high school. And Jesus was all I wanted to talk about. So I would hang out with my friends, and what we did the vast majority of the time was play Grand Theft Auto or Call of Duty. And I would just be like, hey, like, isn't it crazy that God would become a man and come down and die for us to pay for our sins? And this was literally what, what some of the guys said. Just like, Jason, just, just shut up. We're just trying to pwn some news. That was a, a legitimate sentence that was said to me in response to like, God is awesome. And so after, after a while, I stopped, I stopped talking about Jesus as much. And some of it was because there was really no receptiveness from my friends. But I, I think that that was just a small portion. I think the real reason... I stopped talking about Jesus so much was because I started to see my sin as smaller and I started to see Jesus's life, death, and resurrection as commonplace. 
And so a lot of the beauty that I've seen in this song and from being confronted by my own sin this week uh, has been to combat exactly those things, seeing my sin as small and seeing Jesus as commonplace. I've been punched in the gut by the bigness of my sin multiple times. And yet Jesus has comforted me by saying that his mercy is even bigger. This psalm reminds us that we don't need to repent and confess only once, only at the beginning of our relationship with Jesus. But we need to confess frequently. Because, you know, when we become Christians, we don't become perfect people who never sin. We sin all the time. Or at least I do. I know that I sin all the freaking time. And the, the practice of regular confession and repentance and the practice of coming to this psalm in particular for me, it, it helps remind me of the experience of Christ's forgiveness over and over and over and over again. And it helps us see Christ's life, death, and resurrection as the miracle that it is. It keeps us in awe of Jesus. And it keeps us in praise. It keeps it keeps us seeing our sin as great because that's what it deserved was punishment, was death. But it keeps our praise great because we see that Jesus took it on our behalf, that we couldn't have done it, and yet he came in. And so it, it makes it so much easier to talk about it because we're just in the midst of seeing how big our sin and how big our God is. But so often I still, I think that since I'm a Christian, I just need to focus on, on doing the good works for God, on reading my Bible, on praying, memorizing scripture. I, like, I'm a professional Christian, and so like my job, boom, I just need to do all these good things for God in my job, and that's what he's going to be happy for. But I was reminded of that so often my perspective. When I, when I was prepping for this, I read a story about this guy named Jerome, who was an early church father in the 4th century, and he writes about this dream that he this dream where he, he collects up all of his money and he offers it to Jesus as a gift. Jesus says, I don't want your money. So Jerome is confused. So he rounds up all of his possessions. And he says, okay, Jesus, here's my possessions. And Jesus responds saying, I don't want your possessions. And Jerome, he's confused. He says, well, Jesus, what do you want? And he says, give me your sins. I came to take away your sins. Give them to me. That's what I came for. That's what Jesus came for. To take away our sin. To take away our shame. And if you're not a Christian, or if you've been following Jesus for years, if you're feeling crushed by the weight of your sin and the shame that comes from them, give it to Jesus. He's come to take away that sin. He's the only one strong enough to do it. And he wants to take that away and in the same breath to pour out his grace and his mercy and his relationship to you. He wants to draw you in and to help you know that you are loved. That even in the midst of your sin and your shame, Jesus wants to take that away and show that he loves you. And so that's my hope, is that you, would that you would give your sins to Jesus in confession. That he could take them away and breathe life into your soul. 
you would take your sin and your shame, remove that burden, and that he would give you rest. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we love you. We're in awe of your mercy and your grace to us. Lord, we sit and we reflect on our lives and we see how we have done wrong so many times. And we see how we've responded in the moments of our sin and our shame. And Lord, in the moments where I've run to run away from you, you have run after me. Lord, would you help us believe in your mercy? Would you help make us quick to confess and to repent from our sins that we would experience your love? That we wouldn't put distance in between you and us because we think we need to clean ourselves up first. But you re would you remind us that you went to the cross so that, so that we could come to you, so that you could draw us into relationship with God? Lord, would that characterize our lives, that we would be quick to run to you instead of away from you in the midst of our sin and our shame? Lord, we need you to help us do that. Jesus, we love you. We pray all of this in your powerful name. Amen. Stand and we'll worship together.